last part of our time as we open our Bibles, uh, we do pray that you would be with us. We pray that through the blessing of your spirit within us, that you would, you would lead us and shape us through this time uh, spent in your word. Thank you for your faithfulness. Thank you for your goodness to us, your mercy toward us in Christ. Thank you that, that you haven't dealt with us according to our sin or awarded us according to our iniquity. But as far as the east is from the west, through Christ, so far have you removed our sin from us. So if we are resting in Christ and we are forgiven and we are free and we have hope uh, for this life and for the next. And so fill this room with the reality of your promises as we look at Psalm 113 this morning. I pray that you'd fill our hearts with praise. You deserve our worship. You deserve our lives. You deserve this time and hearts submitted to you during this time. So help us to be humble and hungry. And I pray that we leave here knowing we've been in your presence. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Go ahead and grab your Bibles. Uh, you can grab a Bible out of the chair in front of you if you don't have your own. And if you don't have your own Bible in general, we'd love for you to take one of those. It's our gift to you. Uh, we're going to be in Psalm 113. We're going to take just a couple week break out of the book of James, which we're preaching through. And obviously today is Palm Sunday, the start of what we know is Holy Week. And you know, every single week we come in here and we worship. Uh, we do some measure work. Chris, Pastor Chris does a lot of work with the team. And he and I, a lot of times, will collaborate on putting together a song set, a collection of songs that we sing. And a lot of times those songs will connect with the text that we're preaching from. And, and there's intentionality to them. And there's a section of the book of Psalms, and you may not, if you don't know your Old Testament very well, there's, a, there's actually a collection of poetry in the Old Testament. It's the longest book in the whole Bible, and it's a collection of poems or songs uh, that the Israelites had that they sang and, and meditated upon. And, and there's, a, there's an interesting section, Psalm 113 through 118, known as the Egyptian Hallel. Hallel is just a, is a word for praise. And that section of Psalms was kind of like the, the playlist or the song list for Jews at the time that Christ was alive. So they would, they would sing those songs, they would meditate on those Psalms during the, the week of Passover. And so when you see in the gospel accounts how with his disciples, Jesus sang a hymn right after the, the Passover meal, the Last Supper, it's likely that the psalm we're going to read this morning was one of the songs that Jesus and his disciples would have sung right after they enjoyed a meal together. Pretty phenomenal. And we're going to read this psalm. We're going to look at the first book or first chapter of, of that kind of section of psalms in Psalm 113 and to kind of prepare our hearts for this coming week. And this, like many psalms, is just a, it just kind of incites you to praise God. It tells us, but commands us to praise, and then gives us reasons to do just that. And so we're going to spend some time, we're going to read this together, and we're going to dig into it a little bit together. So why don't you join with me in Psalm 113, we'll read the whole thing together, and then make some observations. Psalm 113, this is God's word for us, this is what it says. It says, praise the Lord, praise, O servants of the Lord, praise the name of the Lord. Blessed be the name of the Lord from this time forth and forevermore. From the rising of the sun and to its setting, the name of the Lord is to be praised. The Lord is high above all nations and his glory above the heavens. 
Who is like the Lord our God, who is seated on high, who looks far down on the heavens and the earth? He raises the poor from the dust and lifts the needy from the ash heap to make them sit with princes, with the princes of his people. He gives the barren woman a home, making her the joyous mother of children. Praise the Lord. So some instructions bear repeating. And so Psalm 113 begins and ends with the same command. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. This bookend of praise or worship sandwiched in between it is all these different reasons why we should do just that, why we should praise. I think it's good for us to remember when we see things repeated in the Bible, particularly commands, there, there are reasons for that. One is because it's important. And maybe secondly, you could say, because we need to be reminded. Like we come in here this morning, like we need to be freshly reminded that we have reason to praise God. And we sing songs and we open our Bibles to do just that, to remind us, to give us fuel. When we start our weeks next, uh, tomorrow, we open our Bibles again. Why? Because we need to be reminded of the same truth we maybe have heard hundreds of times. But we're prone to forget, right? We're prone to forget God's benefits. And so the psalmist says, praise the Lord. And so this, this word praise in other places, namely the book of Job, is translated shine. Like this, the brightness of the shining glory of God confronts us in such a way to where the response, only natural response is to praise God. So if you've ever walked out like from like a dark room or inside your house, you walk outside and you're confronted by a really bright day. And you're like, man, that is bright. That would be a little bit like what this is talking about. It's like you're confronted by who God is, what he has done. The only response is to praise. I can't help but praise God because I've been confronted by his brilliance. Praise the Lord. And praise is our reaction to the blinding brilliance of God. So it says praise is the most fitting response for the servants of the Lord in verse 1. So the Passover celebration ushered the hearts and minds of the Jewish people back to their rescue from Egypt. And if you don't know anything about the, the history of the Jews in the Old Testament, they were slaves in Egypt for 400 years. The book of Exodus is the story of their rescue from slavery in Egypt. And so the Passover week was remembering back on the sacrifice that allowed them to escape the judgment of God in the final plague that ultimately freed them to go serve and worship God. So the Passover was a reminder of the provision of God unto their freedom, that they might no longer serve the wicked king and Pharaoh, but serve God in the wilderness of Sinai and ultimately in the promised land. Praise, O servants of the Lord, for you are no longer servants of Pharaoh. You have a new master. And if you can't make the connection, if you're a Christian in this room, like for us, we look back on the Passover and we can enter in with the joy of the Israelites. Why? Because we've been set free from slavery too. Shackles have been broken off. And we're free. Are we free? Is anybody in here? Can anybody say amen to that? Like, you, if, you're, if you're free, the command is praise the Lord. Praise, O servants of the Lord. Praise the name of the Lord. Because just like the people of old in the Old Testament, your shackles have been broken. Your bondage exchanged for freedom. You were servants of the king and subjects in his good and righteous kingdom. First Peter 1, 18 and 19 says, Knowing that the people of God know that you're ransomed, 
set free from captivity from the feudal ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. If you're a Christian this morning, your ransom to be set free was paid by Jesus alone. You've been set free. You've been given freedom. There's nothing you can do to earn enough merit to earn your place in God's family. But freely and fully, he paid your debt so you could be free. And if you've never understood that message, that's a simple beauty of the Christian message. Every other religion has some mechanism to, to gain right standing with God or become God. Christianity alone stands on the work of another, namely Jesus, who perfectly fulfilled the law that you and I could never fulfill, died as a substitute for all the law-breaking that we did and do. And through faith in him, we can be made righteous in the sight of God. Praise the Lord. Praise, O servants of the Lord. Praise the name of the Lord. God's wonderful brilliance is seen in King Jesus. We're now subjects of the King of Kings, the servants of the Lord. Praise God, for there's no one like him. His name is matchless. Look at verse 2 and verse 3. Blessed be the name of the Lord from this time forth and forevermore. From the rising of the sun to its setting, the name of the Lord is to be praised. Some of you may have found yourself at times uh, reciting that last part. To speak of God's name is to speak of his character. So his name is unimaginably great, and his character is unimpeachably pure. His name is synonymous with his character. There, there never has been or ever will be a time when the name of God isn't blessed. Psalm 148 starts with the same command as Psalm 113, which is praise the Lord, like praise God for who he is and what he has done. The psalmist goes on in Psalm 148 to give this roster of everyone and everything who should praise the Lord. Angels, heaven, sun, moon, stars, the sea and all creatures in it, fire and hail and snow and fog, every creature, every tree, every living thing, every sea, everything in them, kings and princes, people great and small, paupers and common folk, old and young, men and women, this is what it says, let them praise the name of the Lord for his name alone is exalted. His majesty is above earth and heaven. He's raised up a horn for his people. Praise for all his saints, for the people of Israel who are near to him. Yesterday, today, and for everlasting tomorrows, God's name is worthy of praise. Praise the Lord. Praise him, O servants of the Lord. Praise the name of the Lord. And this adoration is constant, namely because the name and character of God is constant. We saw in James just recently that God doesn't shift like the shadows. You're not going to wake up tomorrow finding God to be different than he was today. Hebrews chapter 13, verse 8 says, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. So he'll always be deserving of our praise. Amen? Okay, so one of the things we do as a family every birthday in our home is the birthday person has the awkward privilege of, of being affirmed by our whole family. So we take turns. Everybody t takes a turn to share specific things that they love about that person. So I had a birthday recently. I was the most recent birthday, March 25th. 
And so I sat there, awkwardly receiving, joyfully, but awkwardly at the same time, receiving the affirmation of my family. You know what I was thinking about this week? It's like for my family to affirm me, to tell, to tell me how much they love me and all the, the good things about me, and there were a few, right? <laughs> but you know what I was reminded of this week is like in the midst of all that affirmation, you know what a family has to do? They have to graciously overlook and actively forgive the thousands of things that I do wrong. The hundreds and thousands of moments of failure, even though they affirm, and graciously so, they have to actively choose to not think about all the ways that I'm inconsistent. And I'm grateful to have that moment. It kind of fills me up for the year so I can be assured that they do love me. The grace of God is evident in my life. Why do I bring that up? It's because not so with God. When you praise God, there's no inconsistency in his character. There's no waning of his merits, his praiseworthiness. He will always and forever be worthy of the praise of his people. And nothing will change that because he will never change. So we don't have to overlook deficiencies in the character of God to somehow find and wrangle up reasons to praise him Verse 4, the Lord is high above all nations and his glory above the heavens. The entirety of earth and the expanses of heaven sit squarely under his feet. And under his good rule, even the highest nation is subdued under the feet of the Lord. Let me read a few different verses real quickly that highlight this. And you'll see why in just a second. We're taking a lot of time to, to see the highness of God. Psalm 22 Verse 28 says, For kingship belongs to the Lord, and he rules over the nations. Psalm 47, 8, God reigns over the nations. God sits on his holy throne. Isaiah 40, verses 15 and 17, Behold, the nations are like a drop from a bucket and are accounted as the dust on the scales. Behold, he takes up the coastlands like fine dust. All the nations are as nothing before him. They are counted by him as less than nothing and emptiness. So the kingship and the glory of God extend up and out with boundless measure, inexhaustible reasons to praise God. He's higher than our imagination can travel. His glory is greater than endless songs that we could sing. But here's the wonder of it all. It's not just God's highness, his exalted nature that makes him worthy of praise. That's what we see next. His praise thunders from the earth and from the mouths of his people here and everywhere because although he is lofty, he draws near to the lowly. The one who is supreme sinks down to lift the needy. I'd be willing to guarantee that there's someone in this room probably multiple someones, that practically feel those words. Needy and poor. All of us should feel them because we all are poor and needy, spiritually speaking. But there's some of us that feel that more acutely this morning. I just can't wait for you to hear these next words. In verse 5, who is like the Lord our God? 
Who is like the Lord our God, who is seated on high? We've seen just in brief form, these first four verses, that picture, he's seated on high, who looks far down on the heavens and the earth. He raises the poor from the dust and lifts the needy from the ash heap to make them sit with princes, with the princes of his people. So praise him, you servants of the Lord, for there's no other God so high who is willing to stoop so low. There's no other God like him. Who is like the Lord? There is none. There's no other God so high, willing to stoop so low. He humbles himself to behold the things in heaven and on earth. Although God is supremely high above, seated in the heavens, he looks far down. He looks down. He sees. He cares. He knows. We were at a, a banquet the other night for Lifeline Pregnancy Center, and the speaker, at one point in his message, like he was talking to, uh, he was talking to those who had been a part of abortion in the past, and he was seeking to minister to them. And he just uttered one word, and and I felt the gravity of it as he said it. I think it was it was a shepherding note, and he just kind of looked out at the audience, anticipating there was probably someone in that group that had had an abortion, and he and he said these words. He said, "I want you to know that I see you. I want you to know that I see you." And that feeling of, like, of being seen, acknowledged, is really, really significant, especially in the midst of brokenness. And to know, family, just sit under this just for a second, to know in the midst of your brokenness, my brokenness, that God says, I see you. I see you. There, there may not be any other person in this room that knows the thing that stings most deeply in your life, the God of the Bible who made you by himself and for himself, he looks at you and he says, I see you. I'm not indifferent to your pain. I see you. I'm looking. I'm beholding that which you're going through. And what a blessing for the people of God. Reaction is still the same. Praise the Lord. Praise, O servants of the Lord. Praise the name of the Lord. For who is a God like ours? although so high, stoops down and looks so low. And the miracle of the gospel is that Jesus doesn't just merely look from afar. He doesn't merely even just come down to see. But he enters all the way in to human pain and suffering. Who is like the Lord our God? In the gospel story, we see Jesus entered all the way down into earth, what we know as his condescension. Alexander McLaren, a Bible commentator, said it this way. I think we'll have this quote up here. Actually, I don't think I put it up there. Never mind. It says this. It says, God's loftiness can never be adequately measured unless his condescension is taken into account. And his condescension is coming down, never sufficiently wondered at unless his loftiness is felt. Who is like the Lord our God? seated so high, but who comes down so low. Praise the name of the Lord. On Palm Sunday, this is where the connection with Jesus riding into Jerusalem on a donkey, where it's helpful for us to make the connection to some degree. Who is like the Lord our God who is seated on high? On Palm Sunday, we see one of the many imaginable shades of Jesus' humble condescension as the, as the king of the Jews, the one who is seated on high, that's the wording from our psalm, 
rides into Jerusalem seated on what? A donkey of all things. Who is like God, seated so high? Unimag- I mean, our imagination can't even get close to how high God is, but yet he comes riding on a, a donkey, a humble beast of burden. A, a donkey wasn't used for victory marches. It was used for men of peace to come into his city. How interesting. This humble king of glory would, would go from being seated in the heavens over every square inch of creation. And he would come down. He wouldn't just look. But he would come all the way down, born in the likeness of men, to become a servant. He would ride into Jerusalem on a donkey, entering into the very week where he would give his own life to purchase his people. Praise the name of the Lord. Jesus didn't ride into Jerusalem on a chariot, but on a donkey. He didn't ride into Jerusalem on a war horse, but he rode on a donkey. Not with a battle bow, but on a donkey, speaking peace to the nations with the authority and the power to release his people from captivity. Verse 7, he raises the poor from the dust and lifts the needy from the ash heap to make them sit with princes, with the princes of his people. These two pictures of the poor and the needy, I don't know that it's necessarily trying to help us figure out two categories of people as much as it is just highlighting the depth of the need of those that he came to rescue. The poor have nothing in their hands to better their position. And to be sure, hear me when I say this, every single one of us is poor in that sense. None of us, not a single person in the history of humanity has ever had adequate assets in their life or in their hands to commend them to the love of God. Every single one of us is poor. But what does this high king do? He comes down to the low and he raises up the poor. He takes them and he raises them up in a way that they just simply cannot do themselves. Dust surrounds us. It's both the ground for our feet and the pillow of our head. And in the Bible, the dust is often referred to as just a source of humiliation. And in the gospel, we see Jesus be humiliated for the poor. He became poor, right? We see that. Paul writes to the Corinthian church, commending them to be generous. And he uses as this illustration and fuel for their generosity, he points them to Jesus. He says, even though he was rich, for your sake he became poor, so that you through his poverty might become rich. Rich in grace, unimaginable riches, found in the person and work of Jesus Christ. The poor have nothing in their hands to better their position. Jesus does it all. He raises up the poor. There's no one like our God. He stoops down. He sees us in the dust. This picture in Psalm 8 and Psalm 103, Psalm 8 says, when I look at your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars that you've set in place, when I see how high you are, This is my reaction. What is man that you're mindful of him? And the son of man that you would care for him? When I see how high you are, who am I that you would come so low? Praise the name of the Lord that he does. Defies logic. Psalm 103, 13 and 14 says, As a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion 
to those who fear him, for he knows our frame and he remembers that we are dust, not only in the dust, but we are made from dust by his own hands. Praise God for there's no one like him. He's mindful of you. He cares about you. He remembers you. He has compassion for you. You may feel buried by the ashes and destruction of your sin, if I could use that picture from this psalm. The ashes that surround you seem to overtake you because of your sin and rebellion, or maybe even the sin and rebellion of other people. And God wants you to hear this morning that he's a God who's ready and able to lift you from shame and from ashes. Verse 9, this picture of the barren woman being given a home, making her the joyous mother of children. Even the barren woman is given a home among the people of God. Culturally, a barren woman was a social outcast. Embarrassment to her family and her community and to her self and the significance is felt in this psalm in light of that reality. The God who raises up the poor and lifts the needy also includes the former outcast into his family. And notably, the Bible is filled with all sorts of women who were without children, barren, and God graciously gave them children. And the miracle is still. And as a pastor of this church, uh, I feel like I would be, sorry. I feel like I would do this moment a disservice if I didn't acknowledge the very thing I talked about just a second ago. Because there's, there's some women in our church that want to have children, that can't have children. And I want you to know that we do see you, that we love you, and we want to do a better job of walking with you and bearing your burdens. But I also want to say this, is that the miracle of the Christian life and, and walking in the family of God is that even though it may not feel like a one-to-one replacement, as God gives you spiritual children, he, he gives you the ability to be a spiritual mom. So don't completely diminish that, even though your heart hungers for your own biological children. And don't be dismissive of that opportunity while we still pray that God would give you your own children. But I want you to know that we see you. And I want you to know that we love you. And I, I can't identify with the struggle, but I want you to know that we pray for you and we'd love to have a chance to minister you, to you more effectively as pastors as well. But God graciously gives the, the woman who has no children, makes her joyous, joyously the mother of spiritual children and at times the mother of biological children. Here's how I want to close. In the gospel, Jesus raises us from the dust by becoming poor himself. So that through his poverty, we might become rich, spiritually abundant, possessing every spiritual blessing contained in heaven. So no matter how you feel, no matter how abundant your life feels to you now, in the physical and the material, Ephesians tells us we've been given every spiritual blessing that heaven can contain. So praise the Lord. Praise him, O servants of the Lord. Praise the name of the Lord. Praise God, for there's no one like him. And we no longer sit in ashes in an unbelievable exchange. We sit as royalty, as freed and adopted servants. We're given a seat at the table with the Prince of Peace. God himself has raised us up. It's what the book of Ephesians says as well in chapter 2, verse 6. He's raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ 
Jesus. And this is the mystery of the Christian life right now on this side of heaven, is there's an already way in which the people of God are seated with Jesus in heaven as royalty co-heirs with him. What we know now spiritually, in part, one day we'll know in full and we'll actually be seated with him in his presence, experiencing all the, the riches of heaven's blessing that are said to be ours even now. In Psalm 70, verse 5, it says, But I am poor and needy. Hasten to me, O God. You are my help and my deliverer, O Lord. Do not delay. As Pastor Chris shared earlier, that song, Hosanna, the words that you see in Matthew chapter 21, the other gospel accounts, they were crying out as Jesus came on a donkey, came into town on a donkey, and they put coats before him, and they waved palm branches, and some threw the branches down, and they worshiped him excitedly. Blessed be he who comes in the name of the Lord. And they use this word, Hosanna, which is a a transliteration of Psalm 118 that basically says this, save us, we pray, O God. Here's my heartfelt plea to you if you're not a Christian in this room. I want you to know I'm so thankful that you're here. But coming into the church doesn't make you a Christian. Being in Christ makes you a Christian. And the heart of this psalm, in Psalm 70 verse 5, captures to some degree what we have to feel before we reach to Jesus, I am poor and needy. Both of the words captured in Psalm 113, you have to feel the gravity of your need before God and run to him, throw yourself upon him, believe on him for salvation, and he will be the one who raises you up, lifts you up from the dust. But my prayer is that you'd say, I need salvation now. Save me now. And you can hear the mingling of desperation and delight in those voices. The rescue we long for has arrived. And that can be true for you this morning. The rescue that your heart longs for can be yours this morning if you trust in Christ. And I'll finish with this. The last words of this psalm, as we mentioned at the beginning, Psalm 113, verse 9, the very end, it says, praise the Lord. Luke 19, 40. One of the reactions to Jesus getting all the praise as he came into Jerusalem on a donkey, the Pharisees, these religious leaders, responded to the moment and they told Jesus, hey, you need, to, you need to calm your followers down. You need to tell them to stop heaping praise upon you. You know what his reaction was? Look, if, if these people are silent, even the rocks are going to cry out. Like, I'm so worthy of worship. I will not be denied praise. And that's what we get to do. We get to actively deny the rocks the privilege of crying out because we get to do it instead. Amen? Charles Spurgeon said it this way about this particular psalm. He said it's like a circle. It begins with praise and it ends up at the very same place. And may that be a reflection of our own lives. That our days from the rising of the sun until it's setting that the name of the Lord will be praised. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Father, I can't help but think of the reality that um, our eternal occupation is going to be to praise you, to praise you and to serve you,
And I think if we're honest, that picture maybe doesn't delight us as much as it should. And it could be that that's true because we, we don't praise you with the fervency and joy with which we should praise you here and that you deserve. So I pray that in some degree, all of us will be moved to lives of greater praise. The commands are clear in this psalm and all over the Bible that we're called to praise you because there's no one like you, God. There's no other God so high who stoops so low. No other God so holy but yet so merciful and loving and compassionate. And so as your people, this room gathered here, God, would you cultivate in us that which we can't cultivate just based on our own discipline? Do a spiritual work in us. Renew us. Help us to praise you more this particular week as we set out to be reminded of the weight of your death on Good Friday and the glory of your resurrection on Sunday. And I pray that we be living lives given to praise all the day long, all the week long, all the year long. You deserve it. You're worthy of it all. I want to thank you for your faithfulness. Thank you most of all for the gift of your son, Jesus, Father, that you dealt with him according to our sin and rewarded us according to his life so that we could be righteous in your sight. Praise the Lord. Praise, O servants of the Lord. Praise the name of the Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's go ahead, let's go ahead and stand together.